from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these episodes in between our regular podcasts so we can explore a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. And today I'm speaking with Jessica Tomei, the winemaker for Cupcake Vineyards. Jessica, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. So let's start a little bit with your own background. How did you get involved in wine and winemaking? Uh, Well, I was a um, pre-med student at UC Davis. And um, as I was taking all the classes for the prereqs and um, doing a lot of internships in the medical field, I realized it wasn't the right path for me. So I started to take some um, other classes. And one of the classes that was offered uh, was the world of wine. So once I took that class, um, you know, I grew up in a really, I grew up in a close knit, like Italian Greek family where where we always were, we had wine on the table. Um, My best friend growing up, her dad was a home winemaker. So I always had an interest in wine and um, the opportunity of, of attending UC Davis and their viticulture and enology program. I once I took that class, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I, I would like to learn more about this. Um, it was a perfect, you know, match for science, but also, um, you know, I was interested in art and culture and cooking and it, it seemed to, um, it, it seemed to encompass all of those subjects. And so I, um, actually studied abroad in Spain for a year and on, upon my return, I, uh, I changed my major and went in, uh, started the viticulture and enology program, as well as my, I have a double bachelor in Spanish as well. So okay. that's how I got into it. <laughs> and then how did you end up at Cupcake? Um, I, so throughout my career, my first harvest, I, you know, I worked in Sonoma and then I worked in Italy and I've worked in Chile. So I have um, had this global experience and I um Actually, a recruiter uh, alerted me to the position, and I was really excited. Uh, it was in two, 2013 to um, work on a brand that was uh, globally grown. So, the the idea of um, the one of the first wines I tasted for the interview process was the Cupcake Sauvignon Blanc. The idea of of being able to make a wine that was, you know, really express the region from which it was grown. And then, it, you know, being able to sell it at this affordable price point where everyone could enjoy the wine and enjoy a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc was really impressive. And, and I, it was something that I was really excited to join. So I, um, yeah, I, I started with, with uh, Cupcake in 2013. It's been almost eight years. And obviously, I imagine a lot of our listeners are pretty familiar, but would you mind just giving a little bit of an overview of kind of Cupcake and and some of the different wines that you make? Yeah. So Cupcake Vineyards, we are based in California, but we are one of the first brands that was globally grown. So um, in California, we make our Monterey County Chardonnay, our Butterkist Chardonnay, our Cab, our Pinot Noir, Merlot, our Red Velvet, and Black Forest Red Blends. And then we also are growing and making wine in New Zealand. Um, we have our New Zealand Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. We have um, we work with partners in Italy to grow and make our Prosecco, Prosecco Rosé, um, our Pinot Grigio, our Moscato d'Asti, and our Stilla Moscato. 
And then we also have uh, Malbec from Argentina, Shiraz from Australia. Um, so it's, it's, we, it's a, you know, great brand to explore um, not only California wines, but also the, the globe. And then now we, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, it sounds like you probably have some pretty serious airline status. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's true. Maybe not so much that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we also, Cupcake, now we have our Cupcake um, Lighthearted wines, which are all grown in California. Yeah. And I want to talk about those and about the, uh, in particular, the Rosé Prosecco in a minute. But I, I do want to kind of ask about um, some of the the more core wines, or at least the wines that have been around a little longer. It, you know, I'm curious because one of the things that I think defines some of what Cupcake does is you have both a mix of uh, varietal driven wines and then sort of blends. And I'm curious, it, it feels like, especially with the blends that there must be a sort of a, a lot of consideration giving given to keeping the, the profile of the wine really consistent because that's, I think what consumers want, right? They, they know they like uh, red velvet or black forest or whatever. How, how do you do that as a winemaker? Like what, what are some of the considerations when you're putting those wines together? So really, uh, you know, it all starts in the vineyard. So making sure that we are working um, with the, you know, with the growers, we, we grow our own fruit as well to have the best quality um, fruit to start with. And then, you know, working with those vineyards year, year over year. And um, that provides consistency in terms of the uh, quality of fruit. Of, of course, you know, wine is an agricultural business or the wine industry is in the agricultural business. So it, we are, you know, it depends on, this, on the, the year and um, the growing year and weather and climate as well. But um, especially for red velvet and black forest, we, we use a consistent oak regime uh, on those wines, which which provides you know some of that like mocha and um, that that the consumers really enjoy. And then when it comes to kind of adding new wines, and, and I think I want to talk about this maybe through the lens of both rosé prosecco and the lighthearted wines. Kind of what is the where does that process begin, and and how do you kind of see it through? And maybe you know I don't know, take one or both um, if you want to kind of answer that. I'm just really curious you know, kind of how that comes about. So uh, uh, do you want me to start with cupcake vineyards? Sure. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So for example, our Chardonnay, the, the way that we make our Monterey County Chardonnay is that we are growing it. I, I, I'm based in Monterey County and we're growing it like anywhere from five miles from the winery to 20 miles from the winery. And um, we, we bring it into our, um, facility here, we press it, or you know, we're pressing it off or barrel fermenting the majority of the Chardonnay for for cupcake in uh, American oak, and um, we we do you know we, we stir it on the lees um, until we get the mouthfeel that we want, and then um, and then it goes through uh, bottling. But it really, I mean, the the just like you know, I think if you talk to a lot of winemakers, it. it starts in the vineyard and um, i think yeah sometimes with the with larger brands that uh i think people think you know we're just receiving wine from all over the place and putting the blend together but really with cupcake we're we're starting in the vineyard growing it um using working with the same same growers um and growing our own fruit so that we can really control control the quality 
in the vineyard. So I spend a lot of my time actually with our growing team and out in the vineyard. Gotcha. And I guess maybe I should have been clearer in my question. I apologize. I, I, what I was kind of trying to ask is when when there's a decision made um, to sort of say, hey, we want to we want to make something like rosé prosecco, right? Like that's that's a category that we see real potential in. I guess I'm just kind of curious, like how for one, maybe you can talk a little bit about that wine, and also just sort of how the decision is made to hey, we want to we want to add another wine to the lineup um, because obviously, as you said, it's a there, there's there you know either they're growing partners and things around the world. There's a lot of considerations, and obviously, you know there's there's uh, you know, market positioning as well. So I'm just kind of curious from at least your perspective, you know, what, what goes into that whole process? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So for like the innovation, our innovation pipeline, um, yeah, Prosecco Rosé is a great example because we, you know, the Rosé category um, is, has exploded in, in popularity um, and it continues to, to grow, but not only that, but it, it's now a, you know, a rosé wine you can find year round, which is, is really exciting. So as soon as the DOC in Italy approved that uh, Prosecco rosé, that we were allowed to make Prosecco rosé, um, we, of course, wanted to, to make one. So um, it, it not only, you know, not only follows the, the market trends, but it's also, um, you know, something that is, uh, we think we can do a really good job of making a Prosecco Rosé and providing it to our, our customers. Um, so, yeah, the, D- the DOC, we were actually, um, are, are they allow 10 to 15% Pinot Nero in the Prosecco Rosé. We're doing around 10%, um, but it's, make, it's, it's really fun because it's a first time the Prosecco's rosé is being made and then also that we were one of the first ones on into the marketplace and so it's fun for both winemakers and wine lovers that we now have the prosecco rosé and then the cupcake lighthearted is something that it it was a really uh you know working with winemaking as well as marketing to really create a new um marketing um or market segment for wine in terms of there's, you know, the trend of hard seltzers and um, just, you know, better for you, uh, I guess, beverages. And there was a, you know, wide open space there for making a wine that, um, you know, there were some wines were out there that were very interesting, but they, to me, you know, tasting through them was that they're interesting, but they're not to me, it's not something I would go back and buy again. And I really wanted to make a wine that fit all of those, um, you know, f- that w- that fit being lower alcohol, lower calorie, but then also was delicious because, you know, I think as wine consumers, we all, we all, that's why we drink wine because we find it delicious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so can you talk a little bit about kind of how those wines are made? Um, because I know we've had, um, a couple of conversations on the podcast before with kind of looking at these, um, you know, sort of lower alcohol or calorie wines, but um, you know, I don't want to assume that, that yours are made the same way. So kind of how do you get from, how do you get to that, that finished product? Yeah. So we've been working really hard to obviously the, the varietals that we're, are, that we're making for Cupcake Lighthearted, we're making a Sauvignon Blanc, a Pinot Grigio, a Chardonnay, a Pinot Noir um, and a Rosé. 
all of those varietals, we because we're starting in the vineyard, so we're picking at a lower bricks level. So that lower bricks level is translating to a lower alcohol level. Um, but you know, if, if we're going to make a, a cabernet and pick it at a lower bricks level, it's going to be super super green. So we're working with varietals that tend to um, still have really nice aromas and flavors at those lower bricks levels. You know, like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are historically are picked earlier for sparkling wine. Um, we're just we're making these now for for lower alcohol wines. So starting in the vineyard, um, and then really it, it follows the the same uh, protocol that we make for our wines in terms of they're stainless steel fermented, and um, we're you, you know selecting yeast that will produce specific esters. Um, so it, it's really just it's wine just picked earlier. In, okay. in the vineyard. Um, and yeah, so Cupcake Lighthearted, we're, they're 8% alcohol, 80 calories, and less than um, one gram of sugar per serving. Gotcha. And are you finding, and I mean, obviously, as the winemaker, you you may see some of this. I'm sure you talk with, you know, the, the marketing and sales teams and stuff. Is the audience for those wines the same as the audience for the the Cupcake wines not in the Lighthearted line? Or are you are you finding that you're getting a different or some, some different segment of the of the audience. Yeah, I think there's definitely some overlap in the audience. So both um, both Cupcake and Cupcake Lighthearted Wines um, are, you know, I think the customer is looking for something enjoyable and, uh, you know, wine that they um, can, you know, enjoy with friends or, or celebrate or even, you know, for Taco Tuesday. <laughs> but I, but I, they're, you know, I'm not the marketing expert, but I think that we're also bringing in some new consumers to wine from those consumers that are drinking, you know, the hard seltzers, for example, um, gotcha. because it's, it's a better for you option. But it's still, you know, it's still early. Um, we launched these, yeah, we launched these in 2020. So, uh, but the idea I think is we're bringing in the some some consumers that are more mindful about their you know, their choices of what they're putting into their, their body. Like one of the reasons I am really excited about um, Cupcake Lighthearted is that I, you know, obviously I'm a, a wine maker, wine connoisseur, um, but I also like, you know, I have three kids. I, I'm super active. I like to run, hike, um, we go surfing, golfing. So I, I want to make sure I can, you know, still drink wine and, and not throw off my, fitness routine and my, my work routine and family routine. So that these lower alcohol wines that still taste delicious offer up a, you know, a, 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 an option that um, still tastes delicious, but won't throw, won't throw off, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow's schedule. (laughs) Shifting gears just a little bit. I'm curious, you know, one thing that, um, that you do or that, that is done with the wines is, you know, a lot of the wines obviously are bottled, but you guys have a, a growing kind of presence in cans. And I'm wondering, is there any, you know, as a winemaker, is there any different, are there any different considerations when you know, hey, this wine uh, is going to end up in a can versus a bottle? Like, you know, we as consumers and, and people in the media and trade and stuff sometimes view those differently. Is there any difference in the wine? And, and if not, is there any consideration given to the sort of final destination or is it all kind of, hey, we're, you know, it's, it's, we're, you know, it's going to, once you once you drink it, it all it all kind of tastes the same. So the so cupcake we have our Sauvignon Blanc, um, our rosé, and a sparkling rosé in the in the cans, 
and they are the same wine um, that you'll find in the bottle. However, the one thing that we do have to take into consideration are um, the SO2 levels, the free SO2 levels. So in wine, we add SO2 as an uh, antimicrobial as well as antioxidation. And it, it tends that you, you want to have it at a lower level than what you would at bottle because of the, of the um, chemistry that happens in the can. So that's just, that's really the only the difference. Um, yeah, they're the same, actually same wine, just different. Okay. So two level. So how is the decision made then what wines get put in can versus not? Like, obviously you're not putting the entire lineup in cans. How, how has that kind of been determined? That's a great, I think that's a great question. I was thinking about that as, um, I, you know, you don't find our Cabernet in the can or the red velvet in the can. And it, it's the, the idea of the, um, the occasion so really, the, you know, putting them in can, it makes them portable. And when you're, you know, perhaps going to have it at the pool or at the beach or, you know, put it in your backpack for a hike. And um, so I, that really, I think, drove the decision for those varietals is that, that you know, they're, they can be chilled, they're best chilled. And, um, and you know, for those activities, the lighter, um, refreshing, delicious uh, wines are they're portable, they're packable. So they're, I think that the occasion is driving the, the decision for putting those in the, in the cans. Also Sauvignon Blanc is one of our best sellers and um, Rosé as well. So, um, and those, you have to be careful. those cans are right now there, uh, there's two and a half glasses of wine in the can. So <laughs> you can share it. Yeah. You, yeah, definitely can share it um, with a friend. Is there a thought to put the lighthearted wines in cans? That seems like that would be maybe a natural fit. Um, I, I know there's talks about it, so. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm curious too, you know, you, you talked about this at the beginning and, and I, I want to come back to it just cause I have, I'm curious, you know, uh, pre pandemic, it sounds like, you know, as, as joked about before, you know, I'm sure your job involved a fair bit of travel, but what was it like trying to kind of coordinate production of wine on multiple continents when, you know, you had to do it all via Zoom or email or whatever? Was it was a lot more difficult than presumably in years past when you might have been able to go visit, um, whether it was New Zealand or uh, Australia or uh, Argentina or Italy or what all these places that I would actually love to go? Now I'm really, really jealous. Uh, yeah, what, was it, what was it like or what has it been like? So already, I mean, I... I'm not there all the time. So we already have a really great team on the ground in those, in those countries. So a lot of the communication and, and tasting of wines and blends was already um, being done remotely by sending samples and then emailing and or calling on the phone. So I feel like we were already set up pretty well for COVID. What has been interesting is just the, the domestic um, traveling as, we are an essential, we're an essential business as a winery. We're in the food and ag sector. So we have never stopped, um, never stopped working. So we've uh, really, you know, the safety and safety of our employees and in, in both the cellar and the vineyard was a top concern um, and always has been, but just making sure, you know, we really, um, we, making sure everyone keeps distance, which is easier to do in the cellar and the vineyard than I guess in some other industries. But that was, um, 
the the one thing with the tastings with our marketing team and our winemaking team really had to change. And but the the virtual environment, like we we launched Cupcake Lighthearted basically virtually with our our customers and our distribution teams because we couldn't be traveling throughout the U.S. So that was actually really fun because we you know, would send samples out to everybody and and then hop on a call and everybody would be tasting at the same time from wherever they were in their um, you know safe location. We're working from home or if I'm here in the winery, um, but we're all tasting the wine at the same time. So it was, it was fun to see the innovation that stemmed from from the challenges of COVID. Um, but in terms of production for international, it didn't really change anything except for the actual like the in-person visit that would that would happen. Yeah. So another question occurs to me, which is that, you know, in the pandemic period of time, one thing that's certainly true is that, you know, more and more consumers saw their uh, wine purchasing really shift to, you know, um, grocery stores and things like that. And, and Cupcake obviously has a very strong um, off-premise kind of uh, presence. Was it at all kind of hard keeping up with that increased demand? Uh, wine isn't the kind of thing where you can just turn a dial and make more. Um, so, so how did you kind of face, or how are you? Because we're not out of the pandemic yet. How how are you dealing with what what I presume is increased demand? Yeah, so we we definitely have um, seen an uptick in sales, which is great. Uh, but we were we haven't had to scramble in terms of. You know, figuring, making sure that we're staying on shelf. We actually were in a good position on our um, in our vintage eighteen and vintage nineteen because those were bigger, bigger um, harvests. That um, what we have seen is that we're, we're just having to transition to the newer vintages sooner than planned. But we have plenty of wine, so that's good. <laughs> so we're able to, to to keep cupcake on on the shelf for our consumers without. That's obviously uh, very important. Yes. (laughs) Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, Always interesting to learn more about, you know, uh, a brand that's so, um, you know, so visible. um, But but I think sometimes in the wine world doesn't really get talked about much. So I really appreciate you taking some time to to talk with us and uh, look forward to seeing what you have in the works for uh, the years to come. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.